And good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sam Bradford Show. My name is Sam Bradford. How is everyone doing today? 713, how do I sound? Not sure if it's loud here. It's a little cold out today, so I got my truck on to get a little heat going so that I don't become an icicle, which is good because I don't want to become an icicle. All right. Uh, today, we're going to kind of pick up a little bit where we left off last week. Last week, I went a little crazy. I went off topic. I went here. I went there. It's my first time on the show. I went a little nuts. So today, I'm going to be sticking with the law. Paul says a little bit about the law that they're under. Then that is imputed onto them. They won't go away. How he feels about it. But why Why the law? Why that sacrificial system? Why did God implement that? A couple of people have asked me questions about that throughout these past couple of weeks. I've talked to several people about it and tried to explain to them why I feel that is. We know that Jesus is the fulfillment of that law and his physical bodily sacrifice did what that old covenant system as in the blood of bulls and goats regular animals could not do which was take away that sin. So until Christ comes to take away that sin I guess you want to say how, how I would put it God set up temporary system of animal sacrifice. Without no shedding of blood, then there is no covering for sin. So I would say that at that time around Adam, I would say everyone either sacrificed animals, sacrificed humans, and they did these things to appease their God. Uh, People would throw themselves in volcanoes to appease the volcano God so that it wouldn't erupt to take out their village. People would sacrifice other animals and put them somewhere in a cave because they thought that they would feed their God, and a fed God is a happy God, just like a fed husband is a happy husband. So I think the animal sacrifice was used different for Yahweh. He implemented a system of taking the best animal of what they had, sacrificing it, shedding its blood, so that God could dwell with man temporarily through that system. Without that covering, God could not dwell with man. Sin was in the way. We see that in Exodus, when they were building the altar, when they were building that temporary tackle and building the altar of stone, God said, if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it out of hewstone. stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by the steps to my altar, that your nakedness may be exposed on it. So we go back to Adam having his nakedness exposed, realizing that he's naked. There's that separation on death again that God can't be with. So he implemented that sacrificial animal shedding of blood system so that he could dwell with man. It was through wasn't a face-to-face like Adam had in the garden, but it was somewhat that God dwelled man on some level. So now we fast forward until Paul's day, and they're right on the cusp, right on the cusp of having their sin taken away, right on the cusp of going from that old covenant system of death 
to that new covenant system of life. Romans 8, Paul lays that out to be one of the greatest examples of curses of the law that Paul lays out. Sin that he does, he doesn't want to do. And it's not him, but the sin that he realizes. He realizes all these things through the law. And he realizes that his sin is imputed onto him, and it's not going anywhere. Therefore, he is separated from his God. To be absent from the body, that old covenant body of Moses, is to be present with the Lord. When they leave that old covenant body, they go to that new covenant, and they are with God forever. So to backtrack a little bit, Genesis chapter 3, Adam sinned before, just like everyone else. Like, like Paul said, where there is no law, their sin cannot be imputed unto them. So Adam was naked, but he didn't know it. He was not aware of it. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, Adam was under law. Adam disobeyed a command, broke the law, realized he was naked, and nakedness was exposed. God killed an animal and covered him, implementing that sacrificial system so that he can still dwell with man uh, together like he had with Adam but in some way, shape, or form. Let me drawing a little bit from Romans 6 Romans 5 and 6 about what it's like in Paul's eyes to be under the law. For by the law is knowledge of sin and the wages of that sin is death. Chapter 3 we see that in Adam. But through Christ eternal life. So, I'm going to go a little bit here. I mean, not Genesis, uh, Romans 6, where, talks, where Paul talks a little bit about Christ dying for the law, being raised into newness of life, and those Jews who were under the law, they did, did the same exact thing. They were baptized into Christ's death. Uh, Romans 6, chapter 4. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Resurrection. Dying to the law, being raised in newness of life. For if we had been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Just as Christ died to the law, he became and he raised from the dead, first one born of all creation, so shall they. So shall they. They shall, they shall be resurrected with him into that newness of life, just as Christ was when he died to the law, became resurrected. Knowing that their old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that they should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. That sin is no longer imputed onto them. Not that they should still sin anymore, but that that sin that was imputed onto them is now gone. Now they are, once resurrection happens, they are in that same state as Adam was just before Adam suffered his sin death. Okay, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. No more spiritual death. Christ died on the cross when all the sin came upon him. 
and that's when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he died a spiritual death, just like his countrymen. Hebrews chapter 2 lays that out, Hebrews 2.14. And as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in that same. He was under the law. Had to obey the law. That through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And the author of Hebrews is talking about the law. The law had the power over death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Adam died because of the law that he disobeyed. Uh, for the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but a life to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey in its lust, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness. Then shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but you are under grace. They are under grace, their sin is no longer imputed onto them like it was under law. So because of that, they should present themselves as, uh, they should present their members not to sin, but to righteousness, because they are alive from the dead. Now, should they still sin? Because they're not under law, but under grace. Well, of course not. There's a spiritual change that happens when one comes into newness of life. The old things that you wanted to do before, you realize those things are wrong. You're aware of what God wants you to do, and you don't do those. You turn from your evil ways. What's Paul say about it? Romans six fifteen. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves, slaves to obey? You are the one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you are slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms, but the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanliness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Go to bed, do good, whatever you do, do for the glorification of God. For you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin, having become now slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness, and the end of that is everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because now their sin is taken away, they have eternal life. Now we go back to Genesis chapter 3. Let's go to that whole garden scene. Adam had access to the tree of life, which was Christ, had access to eternal life. Jubilee tells us that Adam did not live out the day of his years 
because he he hated the tree. He disobeyed God's laws. He was there denied access to the tree of life, denied eternal life. Before he, when he died, he did not go behind the holy pole. Could not go into the presence of God because his sin imputed onto him was not taken away. Paul tells us that now that that sin is about to be taken away. I think bookmark it here. It's going to be a second. That sin was not taken away then. Now it's about to be taken away. They were waiting for Jesus to come a second time, not for sin, but for salvation, to complete the atonement process. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now Paul gets a little bit into the dynamics of the church in Christ and that relationship, and then he relates it back to Adam and talks about Israel being married to the law and the law dying. Now Israel is free from that law, and now they're free to marry another, which is Christ. Paul describes the, the relationship between Christ and the church as a marriage, just as God and Israel was also a marriage. Israel played the harlot. Harlot back then was the wife who went outside the marriage, sought after, sought after other men. But because of that, God forced Israel. So Paul uses that analogy here, and when we read through a little bit of this, it's going to bring us pretty much back to Genesis. Or do you not know, brethren, that I speak for those who are under the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from that law of her husband. Paul set the stage. He's um, the old covenant. That law is getting ready to die. And those who are who accepted Christ, who were under that law, are getting ready to remarry another, which is Christ. You see that revelation, the marriage of the Lamb. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she would be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brother, and this is also why the the Judaizers, they wanted the law plus Christ. I think Paul lays this out pretty good here. Can't have two husbands. Wife can't have two husbands. And be married to the law and married to Christ. Paul lays that in Galatians. It's not Christ plus the law, Christ plus circumcision. It's one or the other. You're either married to the law or you're married to Christ. Can't be both. So then, so then if while she lives, while while her husband lives, she marries another man, she would be called an adulteress. Possibly those Judaizers, you kind of adulteresses. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no longer an adulteress, though she marries another man. The law dies, she's married to the law. Now again, she's free to marry Christ because that law is dead. Therefore, my brethren, you have also become dead to the law through the body of Christ. For those who are in Christ, the 
is the end of the law. The end of the law is for those who are in Christ. So by them also being baptized into Christ's death, they die to that law as well. And pretty soon that law will be dead altogether. And that will then you have the official resurrection going from the old covenant body of death into the new covenant body of life. God remarries Israel. And there you have it. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may that you may be married to another, Christ, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members that bear fruit to death. Also, that bearing fruit takes us back to Genesis, day six. For God created man in his image. And he told man to be fruitful and multiply. I don't think God was telling Adam and Eve to procreate and have kids from a literary standpoint from where our mind thinks. We see that same thing in uh, the flood account Noah. God told Noah to be fruitful and multiply fill the earth as well. We read on, we see he didn't really do a good job I guess, Nimrod probably screwed everything up. So we can see a lot of Genesis in here. The marrying to the law. The uh, being fruitful and multiplying. Bear fruits worthy to God. But when they were in the flesh, the simple passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from that law, having died to what we were held by, that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Romans 7 verse 6. Is the law sin? Well, the law is not sin. The law was a tutor that was supposed to lead to Christ. John the Baptist and the prophets was to turn the hearts and the fathers, the hearts of the fathers, back to the law. A lot of people think that's kind of funny when I tell them that because Christ is coming and the law is coming to an end. What was the point of turning the hearts of the fathers back to the law? Because the law was the truth that led to Christ. The more you follow the law and the law had glory, not more glory than the new covenant, but still the law was the tutor that led to Christ. So John the Baptist was to bring their hearts back to the law in the New Testament times. They just went all kinds of left and all kinds of right mess the whole thing up verse 7 what shall we say then is the law sin certainly not on the contrary I would not have known sin except through the law that brings us back to Adam and Eve again Adam and Eve were naked they did not know it they were unaware of the nakedness they were ashamed when did they realize that they were naked well Paul tells us for I would not have known covenant unless the law had said, you shall not covet. He wouldn't, Adam was unaware of God's law, until unaware of his sin until he broke the law. And his nakedness was exposed. But sin, taking the opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all a manner of evil desire for apart from the law, sin was dead. That also brings me right back to Genesis. Brings me back to what Eve went through in her head. What she was going through, carnal mind. Genesis 3, verse 1. 
that a serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Look what Paul says here. But sin, taking an opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. Eve is going through all this in her head. And the woman said, God has in, um, and the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. That sounds kind of familiar. We do the same thing. Things we're not supposed to do, things that are tempting to us, we run through all kinds of scenarios in my brain. I don't know about you guys, but I know I do. You think of every possible reason to justify, make it true, it never works out that way. We always end up being like out of an ease. We should take a lesson and just don't. That's for a whole other subject. For the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Sounds like Paul's drawing a lot, Genesis, in this little passage, a couple of chapters here, here in Romans. Now, 7 verse 9, but uh, 8 9, uh, but sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all matter of evil desire. Uh, of evil desire, for apart from the law, sin was dead. Why? Genesis tells us. Because Adam, there was sin in the world before the law, but where there is no law, one sin cannot be imputed. So before that, sin was dead. Pretty much had no effect according to that law on Paul. For I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. I like to translate this passage as Paul going back to Adam before the law. Before Adam was under law, this is how Adam was. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. That's exactly what Adam that's exactly what happened to Adam. He was naked, unaware, God broke down law, he broke the commandment, he died. Commandment which was to bring life, I found brought death. Wondering if Adam did not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, did not disobey God's law, would he have lived out the day of his years? Would he have had eternal life? That's a good question that rolls around. Any thoughts? Give me a text. 631-402-7515. Give me your thoughts on that one. The commandment, which was to bring life, I found brought death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it, it killed me. We can go right back to Genesis chapter chapter uh, 3 again. The serpent deceived Eve. She was tricked. She said, Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. 
But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. He's a slave of sin now because he's aware of it. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that is what I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that the law is good. The law tells him what not to do. But the law is also very tempting, as you see again, Genesis chapter 3. Um, but now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. Now that's not a blame for doing anything wrong, as a lot of people like to say, but it's an internal struggle. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will to do, that is what I practice. Now if I, now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that dwells in me. It is the law. Not making him do it, making him recognize all the things that he's not to do, and in his carnal mind, he's struggling back and forth. I find in the law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the human man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. That brings me again right back to Genesis chapter 3. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? All wants out of that whole entire mess under law. The constant reminder of his sin that it's not going anywhere. There. And because it's there, it's in the way of him having a relationship that he wants with God. He knows it. He can't go behind the veil. The veil represents sin. And because this sin has been taken away, he can't go find there. He's stuck. So he wants out of that old covenant body of death where sin is not taken away. Relationship with God has been severed. He wants out of that, he wants to be into the presence of God. Into a complete face-to-face, First Corinthians 13, relationship with God. All rich man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I was doing all. Christ will. Now, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. All that he just described here in verse 7, all that condemnation, that whole entire struggle, the being rescued out out of that corporate body of death, where sin is nothing but a reminder of how much he is separated from God. And Christ is no more of that. There's no more condemnation. There's no more reminder that your sin is still there. No more reminder of all the things that you, you did wrong. We have a conscience that will help us turn from those ways, but in God's eyes, there is no condemnation. For the law of the Spirit of Christ, for the law of the Spirit of life is Christ Jesus, and has made him free from the law of sin and death. He's free from that law of sin and death because now his sin in Christ 
is taken away. No longer imputed onto him. For what the law could not do, take away sin, made him a weaker man, a reminder of all his weaknesses, daily, it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he was at the two, all the sin came upon him, and he died just as death. The likeness of sinful flesh. He continued sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, all those who are under the law. So the requirements that the law could not do, Christ did. His physical bodily death on that cross, that fulfills what the law was supposed to do, but could never do, but fulfilled what the law couldn't do by taking away their sin. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit they set their mind on the things of the spirit. To be carnally minded is death. Under that old covenant system, that old covenant way, that way is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Almost done here. Five by 30 seconds left. So those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Cannot please God on that old covenant system. Sin is still imputed and cannot be taken away. Well, I'm going to wrap things up here today. Who knows where we will go next week, Friday, 12 o'clock. But uh, thank you for joining me on Bible Beacon Radio. This is Sam Bradford for Covenant Relationship. Thank you for joining me. Blessings to you all. Have a nice day.